What's up, everybody? You are watching the third episode of NASA of the NASA in Silicon Valley Live, a conversational show on Twitch TV. This is with the various scientists, researchers, engineers, and just overall cool people throughout NASA, but especially here at NASA's Ames Research Center in Silicon Valley. So, as I mentioned uh, last week, this is a special Let's Play Space Video Games episode. Um, obviously, on Twitch, uh, you're all familiar with folks playing video games and talking about them. So we figured let's get some NASA experts um, on this Twitch show to basically talk about the science and engineering that is related to these video games in space. So keep in mind, uh, these are NASA experts, um, but we are not professional gamers. <laughs> this is not a speed run. This is not a walkthrough. We don't care about KD ratios or even being particularly good at playing any of these games. Um, this is basically an excuse that we're looking for to, so we could play these space uh, video games and talk about NASA science and NASA engineering. But um, as a special treat, we're also simultaneously live on NASA TV. So if anybody out there who's watching NASA TV wasn't aware, if you want to ask our guests any questions, you can hop on over to twitch.tv slash NASA and join the chat. Um, I am your host, Matthew Buffington, and my co-host, Abby Tabor, will be taking those questions from the chat uh, throughout the episode. Yeah, exactly. And like Matt said, we're especially looking for science and engineering questions because we have for you here today Chad Frost, Deputy Director of Engineering here at NASA Ames, and Mary Beth Wilhelm, a planetary scientist. And then there in the back, if we can get the Skycam, we Sky have Skycam is making a comeback. Aerospace engineer <laughs> Thomas Lambeau. Hey, wave, Thomas. You can't just sit there. <laughs> and next to Dave and Bill, got to give them a shout out. So. Yeah, so uh, our guests are going to take turns rotating through and playing different games, and we're going to ask them a bunch of questions about what they're seeing. So one last heads up, um, if you can't catch us live, that's no big deal. You can find us on demand on Twitch um, and also on audio podcast services uh, throughout the solar system and beyond. But before we introduce the first game, we're going to start off with a good old disclaimer. <laughs> so. Uh, do we got the, the disclaimer graphic. Are we doing? Yes, here we go. Uh, NASA does not promote or endorse, nor will it provide the appearance that NASA promotes or endorses a commercial product, service, or activity. Individuals playing specific games do not constitute an endorsement of such games by NASA or the U.S. federal government. No game developer or publisher requested to play any specific game, and the games were, so, were selected solely to facilitate a conversation on space exploration, science, technology, and engineering. So... Everybody got that? Got it. We're all good. So with that said, let's go a bit old school and let's play Space Wars and Lunar Lander. Chad. So Matt, first off, it's Space War with, space a, war. with an exclamation point. Of course. Space okay. War. Not Space Wars, space war. space war. Okay. So, you know, we get really used to seeing all the modern uh, three-dimensional highfalutin graphics uh, on PlayStation or your computer. And it's easy to forget where this all started. And of course, uh, before NASA flies anything in air or in space, we simulate the heck out of it. Yep. So we know what it's gonna do. Somebody has to write the simulation. Mm -hmm. And for things flying in space, what's maybe the most important thing that you have to simulate or take into consideration? This is gravity. Gravity, right? So this is the theme for today is gravity. <laughs> okay, so I want to show you um, what Space War looks like. And Space War was literally the first video game. 
right? Before Space one. War, we're talking like 1960. Nice. Right? And this was a game that was written to run on the Digital Equipment Corporation PDP-1, <laughs> right? This was the first computer to have a graphical display. So before this, it was all, you know, Typewriters, electric typewriters, was how you interacted with the computer. Do we, we want to show uh, them the image real quick? I, I'm going to show you. Yeah, the, we'll bring uh, that up because before we jump into it and, like, and we so, start actually playing it, this is what it, yeah, this is that. what it looked like. Right here's two guys. They're playing Space War on the original, uh, and you see they have some little joystick boxes. Those things, joystick boxes and control boxes, that didn't exist before this either. So this hmm. was hugely groundbreaking. Um, and you'll notice that this display, it want, it's pretty big for the era, right? There's like a 19-inch diameter yeah. display, literally diameter. Right? It's a big <laughs> display for the day and really high resolution. And it turns out these were uh, radar scopes, right? They didn't have a big computer display because no computers had displays. They used what they had, <laughs> and it was basically a radar tube, okay? Yeah, so that, that's how it all started is on the, the DEC PDP-1. All right, and you know, we kept going back and forth because while we were practicing and trying yeah. to figure out who was going to play it, are you guys going to jump in? Yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to play. It. All right, go <laughs> okay. for it. So we got Mary Beth and Chad going on this. All right, so this is basically a simulation of two spaceships uh, flying around a star. So there's gravity. The star is trying to drag the spaceships into the middle. And our little spaceships, we have thrusters, so we can try and overcome gravity. You'll see that it's kind of dragging us into orbit, and we can try and oh, wow. shoot each other with going our... Going down, Chad. Yeah, not if I get you first. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we, while practicing and learning this, we've learned that Chad is pretty killer on some of yeah. these like old-school games. Old-school, baby. So fortunately... Um, fast learner. <laughs> fortunately, we also have hyperspace, so if it looks like we're about to die, we can uh, woo, warp out of there. Oh, gotcha oh she got me again. Oh, yeah. uh, Payback. How much do you have to fight the gravity? Yeah, quite a bit. If you yeah. just sit there, it'll drag you right into the middle okay. and uh, eat your ship. So you have to thrust kind of tangentially to get around the gravity well, okay. and then maneuver, and then try and shoot the Oh, so one. you're literally kind of almost, I mean, you're doing a gravity assist. We so are you're trying exactly to. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Like if we're doing a flyby mission, um, doing a planetary space mission, and we do a flyby where we try and use the gravity of a planet to accelerate the spacecraft, this is exactly the same thing. And this is such an old school simulation, but now, I mean, here even at NASA Ames, we have supercomputers that are like, you know, doing this, but to yeah, well, the faster. thousandth degree. <laughs> just like this, only a lot faster. Um, just like this. Just like this. <laughs> right. So this, back in the day, a game like this took all the resources of that computer. Um, right. The, the code was loaded in on a punched paper tape, and hmm. I think the max memory on the PDP-1 was like 4K of, of metal core memory. Right. Wow. Memory was hugely expensive. <laughs> Uh, but it allowed them to simulate, you know, what is basically a space mission in its most elemental form. Well, right? and, and you're getting some advice from Sig Z or Sig saying, lead your shots. Yeah, well, it's, it's, you got to anticipate where they're going. It's totally Please. addictive. Um, you do have to lead the shots, uh, partly because these are sort of like torpedoes, not lasers, and uh, the gravity of the sun actually. Constantly. Gotcha. Drags them, drags the shots into the middle. Oh, oh really? Even so, your bullets? Yeah, so well, leading it, you've got to lead it, but you also have to think about where the gravity's taking them. And uh -huh. that's just like, even for any mission, spacecraft, things that you're sending, it's like gravity is always at play. Yeah. Not only when you're orbiting and trying to get someplace, but when you're trying to land. Yeah. And so that mm -hmm. might be a good segue on over to 
good old lunar lander. Yeah, so we're going to switch it over. So While you do that, I have a couple of comments to okay, share. Okay, let's hear the comments. That's pretty cool, PogChamp. I'm glad <laughs> they're doing something different like this. So somebody's happy to watch. And also, where can I play this? Space ah. War! So th these, both of these actually happen to be running off of my web browser. So uh -huh. you can find them online. Yes, <laughs> using the internet search tool of your choice. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, if, you, if you Google for, you know, like DEC PDP-1 Space War, you should be able to find it. Yeah. Um, All right. So on to our, our next example here is uh, Moon Lander or Lunar Lander. Yes. Uh, this is another pretty <laughs> old game. Uh, people have seen this. Um, in its Atari console, Atari 2600, mm -hmm. um, or even before that, it was an Atari um, uh, arcade game. Uh, but it actually goes back further than that. This was, again, written on a, a digital equipment computer, the PDP-11. The PDP-11 was the first hacker computer mm -hmm. <laughs> because it was extensible and people could get on it and do crazy stuff uh, like games. And mm -hmm. so this was originally called Moonlander, and uh, it pretty much got picked up by Atari very much as it originally existed. Well, in, in, hmm. in one of our first episodes that we did of NASA Silicon Valley Live, we had Jim Green mm -hmm. and Greg Schmidt. They were talking all about landing on the moon. Yep. And, and Mary Beth, as we were talking beforehand about, you know, this is Lunar Lander. If you just change the colors, it could be Mars <laughs> Lander. Be Mars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mary Beth is our our Mars our residential like Mars expert on or all Martian. things. Yes. Or Martian. <laughs> nice, nice. So let's jump into this thing. Okay. So, so what goes into this, and also what's the engineering that has to happen? To land on yeah. the moon. So again, or, this is our gravity theme, right? Uh, landing on the moon. We don't have an atmosphere to worry about, unlike Mars or Earth, but we still have gravity. Uh, the moon only has one-sixth of the Earth's gravity, so it's not as strong. But as you'll see, uh, trying to land on the surface, you constantly have to work against this tug of gravity. And it means you, you constantly have to compensate for it as you try and land your ship. You'll see uh, up in the the top left are corner. Give, are you going to give it a go, Mary Beth? Uh, give you? Yeah, we'll, we'll, she could do it. Up in the top bad. left corner, you'll see there, there's a fuel counter. So you start with a finite amount of fuel. We'll uh, click it, and you can. Play there you it. go. All right. Whoop. There we go. And the uh, so you've got a finite amount of fuel that reduces as you use the thruster. And you're changing the velocity of the spacecraft. All, the only thing you have to work with is the, the attitude, oh, nice. the orientation of the ship, and how much thrust you're putting out, right? which is very realistic. This is just how the actual lunar landers work. Uh, the only difference here is we're working in two dimensions instead of three. Hmm. Right? And you'll notice in the upper right-hand corner, Ooh, we have information about the horizontal speed and the vertical speed, and those both need to be zero when you touch down, or you're going to make a big hole in the ground. Oh, you guys are doing Mary much Beth better is doing than I great. did. I like how we zoomed in there. Chad Das Valdez wants to know what year was this game released. So Do you know that? on the PDP-11, this was probably around the late 60s, 67 oh, maybe, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and it started coming out on the Atari in the arcades um, probably around the mid-1970s. Okay. Wow. This and, is amazing. Yeah. Mary Beth's killing it. She is oh, absolutely killing it. Was it. This isn't the first time you've tried it, is it? It's the second. But I'm not sure that's a landing <laughs> zone. That may not you know, be a whatever. landing zone. Yeah, I heard this was a lot harder oh, than it oh, looked. Wow. Well done. <laughs> Send me to the moon. Good job. <laughs> okay, you've still got fuel left, so you get oh, to man. keep going. Okay. I think like topography is a really interesting question, too, because when it comes to landing on any planetary surface, you have 
lots of moons and craters and other mountains in the way. And I know for Mars, like there's a lot of consideration that's put into where is a safe place to land. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where we landed on the moon, it was in this like very smooth, it's called the Mare. It's that the dark patches on the moon when you look at it in the night sky. But you know, if you if you uh, if you uh, search on the internet pictures of the north pole of the moon or the south pole of the moon, um, or you look at the far side of the moon, it looks very different. It's heavily cratered, and kind of uh, like this. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looks very foreign. Like if you didn't know what you were looking at, I don't. At least for me, I don't think I would guess immediately that it was the moon. Oh well. I'm just impressed um, that you can talk about your work and yeah. play this game at the same time. I'm kind of distracted watching it. I, yeah, I could not do that. So how are we doing on questions? Yeah, yeah, I have a couple comments. Chad, your lunar lander is a hit. <laughs> P5-1 wants the link to download this fantastic game. Maybe, Matt, do we have any way to send links that. out later? Oh, well, we can we in the can, chat. We might I, be able okay. to. Even um, for people who are in the chat asking questions, as much as the guests can hang out after the show is over, around 3 o'clock Pacific time, then they can stay and keep answering questions. We can okay. send things over there. And then, Chad, how many Delta V do we need to leave Earth? And can you tell me what we mean by delta v <laughs> well okay so so delta v is the, basically the speed that you need to conduct a maneuver and okay. whether we're maneuvering uh, from here to the moon or out into deep space or even doing little maneuvers mm-hmm. uh, around something else you know engineers put that in the terms of quote, delta v and it's the change in velocity usually mm-hmm. expressed in meters per second Okay, okay, so for Earth, leaving Earth, we usually talk about it as escape velocity. Right? You've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, um, which is uh, about, I want to say. 10, 10-ish meter per second. Yeah. So get there to get in LEO. And, uh, but yeah. something to note about the delta V is that it's not the exact change of velocity. Like you start with that velocity, yeah. you, you, uh, you, get, you end up with that velocity. As you can see on, on a lunar lander, you need to trust in some different directions. And every time you do that, it's kind of moving the velocity in some other directions. So the delta V total you need are all those little maneuvers where you fire in all those directions to get somewhere. Yep. So, delta V. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so for example, you, you don't just need to you know leave the Earth. You have to get into typically Earth orbit, yes. and then you have to leave Earth orbit. And if we're going to the Moon, now you have to do a braking maneuver to get into orbit around the Moon. Then you may need to change that orbit, and each one of those maneuvers takes some additional amount of delta V, which translates into you know how much propellant do you need, how efficient is your rocket, mm-hmm. all these details. Yeah, I have a question um, during the Apollo uh, era, like. How how, do you know? Do you know off, offhand, like how much margin they left for their fuel? So, yeah, it depends on which mission, right? Okay. So the first one, so uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin are coming in, and you may recall, right? They didn't like what they saw where they were about to touch down, mm-hmm. and they went long, right? Uh, they made the decision on the fly to not touch down where they had originally planned, oh, wow. right? And to eat into their fuel margin to try oh, and wow. find a better spot with no guarantee that they would. Um, and they pretty much used it all up. They didn't have hardly any left by the time they oh, actually wow. touched so down. Just enough to get wow. back. Ju- well, it's, a, it's actually a separate uh, separate system. That's a smart design. But you wouldn't want to run out 
before having touched down. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so for folks, if you are just joining us, uh, you are watching NASA Silicon Valley Live, a new conversational show that we are trying out on twitch.tv slash NASA. This episode is Let's Play Space Video Games, and we're now going to switch things up. So Mary Beth is going to switch spots with Thomas. She's going to go to the sky cam. Thomas is going to come up. Don't freak out, chat. Mary Beth is coming back she towards is. the end. We'll talk about We're, we're kind of getting a bunch moon. of different video games in on this. Um, and so we're all going to get ready for a Let's Play Kerbal Space program. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good news for Papa and Zookus who were asking, it's good on it. are you going to play Kerbal and will you play some newer game where you fly spaceships and we can talk about the physics? So, so let's now, do that. I, now I, know on I know Twitch has several highly skilled Kerbal streamers. <laughs> in full disclosure, I'm a complete noob to Kerbal. Um, I've been playing this for maybe a week now, and my, my, my friend EJSA, and also I know Scott Manley, they're extremely good. EJ has offered a lot of advice and help to get good, but I haven't been able to take him up on that yet. But this, what we're gonna pull up here, is the console version <laughs> of uh, Kerbal Space Program. Um, if we'd had the PC version, I'd have Thomas do this, because he's, <laughs> he's played around with it. Um, but we're gonna try to we're gonna at least run a suborbital flight, and we're gonna try to get in orbit if we can, um, depending on how much time we have. So we can hop on over, guys. Um, so, Thomas, mm -hmm. tell us about Kerbal. What what exactly <laughs> is this for folks who don't know? So this is kind of a simulation of what the Earth will be. It's, it's, it's called Kerbin, and you have your little space. Um, assembly, uh, the VAB over there, ver uh, vertically assembly vehicle, and in there you can create your own rockets. We're going to jump into the VAB. The thing that I, well, actually, as we, as we jump on in over here, I'm going to load up one of my saves. But keep in mind, I just started on the career mode, and so I don't have really anything <laughs> like unlocked. I'm going to open this craft. It's OK, man. I know, right? <laughs> which, which one of those little guys down there is you, Matt? Oh, he's, <laughs> I'm in there somewhere. Alright, so All right. so what are we looking at, man? So uh looks like we have uh, can you zoom out slightly? So we have a rocket, uh liquid engine with some multiple fuel tanks. So there are different types of rockets. You can use some liquid engine, you use a fuel oxidizer, you put that together high pressure in a combustion chamber, very high pressure you get a high pressure gas that you expel through the back to create some reaction force to push a rocket. You can also do that with solid fuel, which is kind of the two mixed. It's kind of a big firecracker. You light it, <laughs> it just goes. You cannot stop it. So there are pros and cons for using both. And looks like you've put at the top a capsule with some goo experiment on the side. <laughs> I got a kick out of this because as we were sitting there playing it, you realize like basically the, the point of the game is you know you're you're flying different experiments, you're doing stuff. But as you can see, I haven't unlocked a whole lot on the game. Um, but over time, as you get more science, you can unlock more things and more objects and more stuff. Um, so yeah, I have the the goo is up here, so we can figure out how to run these experiments. And the idea is you know, and you so have a pilot. If, if you fly this goo up into space, and maybe this is really a question for Mary Beth, right? Do we have to worry about it coming back? <laughs> I mean, are there are there planetary protection considerations with this space goo? No doubt. <laughs> well, even Thomas, for no your doubt. work, you deal with a lot of experiments and science that goes yeah. up for suborbital, not necessarily to the space station, but there's other right. ways to do experiments. Yeah, so with the Flight Opportunities Program, what we do is we get some of those science technologies People have new concept of things, such a new sensor or a new goo system they want to try out. So we put that on a rocket and we launch that to 
100 plus kilometers, so not like to the ISS and all, just some exposure to space so they can do their stuff. We eject the goo, we <laughs> spin the goo, we malax the goo, we do whatever we want, and then, well, not whatever we want, so we're supposed <laughs> to do. Uh, and then, you know, we get the data, bring it back. So the people that get the data, they can uh, figure out, okay, how to make it better, how to move that technology forward. So, it's not. Oh, I was gonna say. Unfortunately, in my situation, I haven't unlocked the telecommunications yet. Oh. So we gotta go up, run the experiment, <laughs> and, and it pull it over. <laughs> Guys, we can keep that up on the screen. <laughs> and, and that's how we do a lot of the uh, the things too. I mean, it depends. We have some. Sometimes we communicate some of the results. Sometimes we. We just go pick it up, literally, like get the, the canister back with the payload in it, and see. Okay, how did that go? And get the recording. So these could be like biology experiments or. Or what else? Yeah, biology experiments. We do a lot of technologies. So, mm, okay. uh, for example, a new um, new solar cells. You want to see. Oh. You want to see if they get irradiated. Like what happens to materials, or like the computer if it can get irradiated, stuff like that. We send it very high, and just see how it behaves. Awesome. Cool. So I'm gonna so. go ahead and. Oh, we, I bet we have questions. Yeah, we do. We have some Before we jump into the launch. Or launch while I talk. Up to you. Uh, first of all, Homura Tamura says, I love space and the commentary. Thanks for doing this. Space. And how's the progress on finding more Earth-like planets? We can... <sighs> Kepler and stuff. Yeah. yeah. You can, I don't know if you progress, guys... Well, progress continues, right? So this is an yeah. ongoing ongoing project. Uh, there's lots and lots of data that came down from the Kepler and K2, um, and it's still being crunched. I mean, yeah. I think you guys saw some fairly recent results where uh, some AI and deep learning algorithms exactly, yeah, were being yeah. used to go back over the data that's right. already been collected and find additional exoplanets and Earth-like planets. Um, yeah. And of course, NASA's got lots of uh, projects in the works to continue you know, looking for those kinds of planets. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting. It is. I gotta say something about the Kepler missions. thing I really like is that all the data they get, they get so much data, they really push it to the crowd and they right. give it to other scientists around the world. Mm -hmm. So they go crunch data, they use the algorithm and stuff to find the, the, the planets and the, the other stuff. It's really cool seeing like the people there is a way for people to participate in some of the NASA uh, ventures. There is, really, right? Ordinary yeah. people go through that data and yeah. find planets, right? All right, let's yeah. jump on into this launch. And, right. um, and we, uh, Tom, so I'm going to have you talk us through. And then Mary Beth, if you have anything on the science goo side that we need to know, um, as the NASA scientist, we okay. expect you to do I'm this. I'm going to have a physics question, but I'll let you launch. Okay, right, so here, let me go ahead and marry. Well, you don't check the, the range or anything, you just launch like that? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I did not check the range. <laughs> I did not go through my checklist either. So that's one of the things. trying to pitch a little bit. Okay, okay, that's a heavy turn right there. Oh, um, oh right. Good thing you have some fins on it. Uh, <laughs> what are yeah, they so, doing? What are the fins well, doing so for him? Well, so as you build up speed, those fins will act to counteract the drag. So you see this rocket right now is like tilted, and you have some balance with the center of gravity. I mean, center of pressure, center of trust, and without getting details, it's easy to tip over and do, you know, mm. crash and burn. That's why rocket science or rocket engineering <laughs> is really what it is. It's pretty complex. One mistake and everything can literally go in flames. Oh, yeah. So uh, this question from Blockwatcher is good. Do you have to consider relativity when going to the moon or Mars, or is Newtonian, Newtonian mechanics enough? It's a good question. <laughs> Moon and Mars, for the most part, Newtonian suffices. Um, okay. If you're if you're going off into the deeper space, more you know, further out missions, it starts to come into effect. But for for Moon and Mars, for the most part, we don't have to take take it into account. Interesting. Um, it depends on the mission, though, right? There's some missions where you're actually trying to 
uh, your science is all about looking at gravity effects, um, uh, you know, trying to prove out some of the fundamental laws of physics. Mm -hmm. And in those cases, you do, right? The, the mission's sensitive to, to those parameters. But if you're just trying to get there, not so much. Okay. Oh, interesting. So it looks like we ran out of fuel, and I'm going to observe the mystery goo, because while we're in orbit, we don't want to mess out. Oh, there we go. All right, so the, the goo seems to be getting very cold now. That's that's good data. That's, uh, <laughs> that's well, it's valuable, you know. Well, that's trying <laughs> to give people a good view of the goo. Yeah. There go. So usually when you have rockets like that, when you run out of fuel, you just, rem you know, you jettison the rest of the rocket that you don't need, the part of the rocket you don't need. Uh, because, um, especially when you have multiple stages, like on rocket on top of a rocket, when you're like halfway through, when you use the bottom part of a rocket, uh, you can, it's like dead mass, and you need to carry that dead mass. So the best we do um, when we go to space, suborbital, is that, you know, you stage, meaning you remove uh, so, some part of it. So, so that's I, a cue for me that you should have I, I should have jettisoned <laughs> my, my stuff yeah. a while back after uh, when I ran out of fuel. Yeah. But right, so I'm going to go ahead and just like pop off off of that. <laughs> All right, and we have to say this is a this is a crude flight. We have a pilot in there. Yes, because you can notice on the bottom right, uh -huh. you know, if we start spinning around too much, oh. he's gonna have a bad time. He looks very happy when you spin it, actually. <laughs> His face. <laughs> he's enjoying that. Oh. I have a couple of maybe related questions from aerospace. How many years before we see engines that'll enable deep space travel? And then it's only rocket science. When is the debut of SLS, as in what year? The Space Launch System. Well, those are good oh questions. Okay, so the first question is, when will we have rockets that will let us explore deep space? So yeah. we're already doing that, right? We're just not doing it with crew, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So we're sending missions into deep space. Uh, we've got, you know, the, the early Voyager probes have already left the solar system, right? right, right. Um, so I would I would say this is really a two-parter. One is when are we going to have engines that will let us take crews into deep space? Mm -hmm. um, and again, I would say, well, you could do it today. It's just a very long mission. So if you're prepared to send crews out there for years at a time, right? You you could do that with the engines with we the have, engines but we it's have the whole today. Package of everything else. Yeah. We need. So electric propulsion uh, gives you higher efficiency. We're doing that with smaller spacecraft today. Uh, there's no reason you can't scale that up. Uh, but even with those engines, you're talking, you know, missions that last many, many years to get crew out into the outer part of the solar system. Yeah. yeah. Something to there note is our parachute. No. Yay. Yay. Success. He's gonna, he's gonna make it. So something to note is that you know going to low Earth orbit requires so much fuel. Like a rocket is like more than 85% fuel. Mm -hmm. Just to get to low Earth orbit, you use most of that. Mm -hmm. And then you need once you are in space, you have a lot of maneuvers to get, to do and things like that. So that com the rest of that mass that is left over, you need to pack in there all the stuff you want, including a very good propulsion system to do things. So we are you know NASA looks into some of those new types of engine, uh, also s even things like a, a nuclear thermal rocket that might be something that um, could bring us to closer um, time travel to Mars and other places. Okay, so we're on it. Yeah, we're on it, we're working on it. On it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a tough problem, but it's moving. And what is SLS that this question? SLS is questions? the Space Launch System. It's the next big giant rocket that NASA's building to take crew um, you know, out to the vicinity of the moon and beyond. Uh, and I think that 
The next SLS launch is the EM-1 mission, or Earth Moon 1 mm -hmm. mission. Uh, it won't have a crew on board, but it'll test out all the systems to go out around the moon and back. And I think it's currently late 2019. I Don't think, quote me yeah. on that, but I think that's the current mm -hmm. launch date. 2020-ish, okay. yeah. yeah and Not the, too far off. The next flight after that is the first one that would have crew on it. So you're looking at, you know, the 20 probably 2020, 2022, or that time frame. All right. And it's, it's a pretty big rocket. Like, the last big rocket we had like that was Saturn V that we had to launch uh, all the Apollo missions to go to the moon. And this one is slightly, like, 10% more trust than it's, it's going to be... If you have the chance okay. to go mm -hmm. see the SLS launch, yeah. just go see it. It's going to yeah, be quite something. It's, it's once a lifetime thing, awesome. yeah. Cool. How are we doing on the chat, Abby? Oh, well, we got some more questions. So Matt, Matt's yeah, made yeah. splash down there. With I know, his, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. at splash well, down. Do you cut do you, do you the parachute before? No, you should. You should the not. parachute's already good. I should be okay. fine. Yeah. I was gonna warp on forward. So, but. Was, did you bring the goo back? The goo, the goo is on on board. See, I haven't unlocked the communications yet to send the data back, so I have to bring it back. Clearly, you but, need to play this more. Yes, I definitely <laughs> need to, <laughs> to unlock better things. So. Well, over here, I have a bunch of questions about Mars, but I'm kind of waiting for Mary Beth to come back. So let's take more yeah. of the rocket we, we, launch questions. We've got a big, big focus <laughs> on Mars coming up here. Yeah, we do. Um, and then another kind of question. Wait, I'm going to save the... Okay. The Soaring Hawk wants to know, I have a really big question about college. Is it worth it to go to the Naval Academy just because they have the largest number of NASA astronauts versus going with something a little more preferable? I would say, heck yeah. Uh, if, if, you, if you want to be an astronaut, uh, that's a great, great path. Even if you don't want to be an astronaut, that's a great path. Uh, the military academies are a fantastic education for engineering in particular, really? uh, lots of other things too. But uh, I, I mean, if you're, if you're focused on a career to be an astronaut or anything in the related field, uh, you can't really go far wrong with the Naval Academy, hmm. uh, first-class education. I guess there are other ways in. There certainly are. Yeah. If you look at our current class of astronauts, right, they come from a really diverse set of backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Which is nice. So we, we collected some more science, so Did hopefully you? I'll be able to unlock more rockets and cool things to build bigger and better rockets. Um, but I think the next step, what we're gonna do, we have some time, but let me give, I'll give a quick reminder to anybody. If you're just joining us now, you're watching NASA in Silicon Valley Live, a new conversational show that we are trying out here on twitch.tv slash NASA. We're still, we're doing a Let's Play Kerbal Space program. Uh, you know, I, I find the irony of, of all of our, you know, heavily accomplished NASA experts of engineering and scientists, even at, Abby, your degree is what, neuroscience? Yep. Keep in mind, the person with the communications public relations degree yeah. is the one who's <laughs> launching these rockets <laughs> over here. And you're making it look so easy, man. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I play it a lot, let you guys like talk about the cool stuff. Yeah. Well, um, on, I, think, I think you need to get us into orbit here. Yeah. I think we're gonna do it. So for folks, if you, um, before we were even trying this out, I tried several times and it didn't quite work. <laughs> so we're gonna, why not? Why not? We're just gonna give it a try. And just to let you know how much of a noob that I am to this, this is even on the training module one. <laughs> so I'm gonna jump into a training module and try to get into orbit. Um, that'll be a fun one. Um, Let's do it. 
Yeah, and we'll give that a kick, and then we'll and then we'll switch things up and switch on over to the next game. Well, come on, how hard could it be? It's only rocket science. I know, right? Come on, Matt. <laughs> and, and keep in mind, I, I, <clears throat> I've had a, <laughs> I, I had a hard time like getting this one, like like making having this one work. And it's on the training mode, so <laughs> they're even like you know, I have Gene Kerman is guiding me through. Kerman. But um, so I've got to say, you spent you spent a good amount of the morning trying, and you said, okay, the next one is gonna be. The, the good one. So this is the next one, right? Uh, I just think there's a lot of one. pressure on it. Part of it is just not following directions <laughs> of what my friend Gene Kerman is going to show. But we're going to flip on over. I got my okay. throttle up. All right, so weather looks good. The weather's looking good. We got all the approved forms. We could, yeah, is he, are we good for science, Maru? There you go. There you go. Have, you had, have you had your flight readiness review, Matt? I know. Well, I was going to say, let's talk about that. How, how realistic is this, or, or what are they missing in Kerbal? And, and Thomas, you're familiar with Kerbal. It's like, you know, what are the things that are not fully being simulated in here? Like paperwork. Yeah, like paperwork, uh, you know, final design review, uh, all those things. It's literally taking parts of rockets, putting them together, and then saying, let's just just push the big red button. I mean, there is no big red button. But <laughs> then it's it's you know you don't look at the you don't look at the range. You don't look at the weather. You don't look at really where you know all those little things that you're supposed to look at. Yeah. And like to make a rocket fly, there is so much stuff behind you to check so many things. And I think Chad, maybe that you can tell talk a bit about you know how it's really going through all the FDR stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there, there's quite the process, right? Um, and of course, at, at NASA, the, there's even that much more process because typically we're dealing with humans on board. Uh, so there's a lot of reviews. Let's make sure all the engineering is done right. Let's make sure that everything was made correctly. Yeah, Have course. we taken everything into account? It's a long process. And of course, in Kerbal, we're seeing the very end where <laughs> the thing's on the pad, we've built it, Press the button. Let's go. So that's the fun part. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. comparing like what that little suborbital hop was, got some cool science, brought it back. Definitely useful. Um, what's the difference between this one? You know, we got different stages going on here for people who have no clue what, what they're looking at. Yeah. So on the side, I believe it's two solid stage. So those things gives like a lot of boost. Uh, it's very heavy kick. Uh, not that efficient, but. The thing you want to do when you launch a rocket, especially when you want to get orbital, the first thing is get out of the atmosphere. It's like go go out of the atmosphere, and you have you try to turn because going to space straight up is easy quotation mark. <laughs> it's really going to orbital speed and going around placing yourself in orbit. That's really the tough part there. So going up, but you have all that parts, the turn, and all those things very complex to do, as Matt is going to demonstrate. I know, and my friend Gene <laughs> Kerman is going to help me walk through this. I was going to say, I think I tried it, what, like four times? And I yeah. kept bailing every single time where mm -hmm. I got off course. You were getting so, close. We were getting close. Yeah. All right, let's give this a go. I got my Matt, throttle up. Muhammad wants you to know, you can do it. All right, let's try <laughs> this out. That's a hype on. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. We're all encouraging Matt. All, all right, right. Matt, let's just. Let's do it. All right. I saw those big winglet in the back. I wouldn't put that in something goes that fast. You might have some aerodynamic issues there. And really? I just almost forgot, because the thing that's been getting me is the SAS not being turned on. What's that? That's Stability augmentation system. Oh. What exactly is Stops that? Stops it shaking so much? Or? Well, it just makes it uh, that much more stable, right? Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, All you, I know is that as I've not had that on, I have not been very successful. You, you can sort of see the end of the fin wiggling back and forth yeah. just a little bit, and that's that's the stability augmentation system at work. And it's basically using a computer to sense what the thing, what the rocket is doing, and 
augment the control to help it be more stable than it otherwise would be. And can, did you say you can actually see that right now? You can actually fin? see yeah. the fin wiggling so, just a little bit. So this is edge. that realistic? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Usually on orbital rockets, you don't really use the... Well, you, you, you can. I mean, on high-speed rockets, things like that, you do use the fins to, to change trajectories, especially on more missiles type of things. It's well, more of a missile thing than... Yeah. Uh, missile. I have a couple more questions while Matt's getting into orbit. Just imagine uh, running this on the PDP-1. <laughs> never have it. How far we've come. Back to our deep space topic. SG Stream is asking, do you think Star Trek space journeys will one day be possible? Star Trek space journeys. Well, yes. That kind of deep space travel. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, think, I think we need the warp drive first. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's the hard part. There's certainly, certainly, uh, you know, huma humanity has the will. Uh, we don't yet have the way. Okay, working on it. Yeah, <laughs> working on and it. I have a few questions on specific targets and missions. So you guys let us know if you can comment on that, or if you just don't know. So Baron Tor is asking, have there been any more planned missions to series? Series. Um, that, that's the NASA favorite. I'm not. Yeah, I don't, planet, right? I don't think we have anything planned. Right now, I, I think right now they're like planning the plan. Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. planning so the like plan. Every ten years, the planetary, um, the planetary science community comes together and discusses what the top priorities are and determines where they want to go next. Mm -hmm. And Ceres is like a really cool target right now because they found clays, which are indicative of water, and they also found carbon. So um, what, there's a lot of models for how this might be happening, but. Um, I, uh, one of the models that I heard about, which I think is pretty neat, is that is that Ceres, the surface you're looking at, which is um, a large dwarf planet, is actually the bottom of an old ocean, <laughs> oh, wow. which is wild. And as a planetary scientist, I'm really excited about Ceres and learning more about it. So I certainly hope that the community decides in a few years that uh, we should go back and explore more. Yeah, cool. So hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah. hopefully soon. Now, what about the image satellite? ASDF is asking, what can you tell us about image satellite, magnetosphere, and it being found again? Yeah, I don't know Round anything again? about image. Mm -mm. Can't help can't, here. Can't speak to that one. Uh, this question, I wonder if this was inspired by the goo. <laughs> Everyday Blash is <laughs> asking, what, what role does a biochemist have in space, such as Commander Peggy Whitson? Cool, biochemistry. That's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, we have somebody to talk about that. What a great question. What role yeah. is there for you in space, Mary Beth? Um, yeah, so there's like many parts of NASA where biochemistry is important. So in the, the people who make sure the astronauts are safe and understanding how their bodies adapt or don't to the space environment, um, there's folks that study basic biology and how that operates in space by sending cultures or other living organisms up to the International Space Station. And then um, biochemistry, uh, or more generally organic chemistry, so chemistry with um, carbon molecules, happens everywhere in our solar system, from dust to the surface of other planetary bodies. And um, actually the, the molecules that we're made out of um, were uh, deposited by comets and other meteorites that rained down upon Earth when it was still very young. Um, and so there's a lot of interesting chemistry that goes on here at, here at Ames in the astrochemistry department where they try to simulate some of those, uh, those uh, primitive reactions that occurred that led to the beginnings of life. So cool. I love that stuff. It's, it's space science because it's relevant to everything we're studying out there, but it's mm -hmm. unexpected because it's biology and chemistry and lab science. So where are we at now, Thomas and Chad? Um, looks like you are... I have to orient uh, my vehicle and I'm getting ready to... 72, 
72 kilometers up, your engine is off. Oh. And oh, okay. So you're getting pretty close. Yeah, to the yeah. blue arch is what my orbit or what my arc would be. Uh-huh. But then you see, my friend Gene Kerman has plotted for me this orange line that if I hit get the gas at just the right spot, you know, it's like you know I'm going up and I'm down, going down. And at a certain point, you just keep falling, I guess. Well, you got to be pointed the right direction if you're gonna fire up your engines again. And fortunately, I think that's what the little blue thing is <laughs> on the nav ball at the bottom. Oh, yeah? I think we might actually make this happen, guys. Ah, and you still have some fuel, so you might actually do it. Oh. Matt, how reactive is it? Like, if you move just a little, do you go winging off in the wrong direction? Um, yeah. Fortunately, the SAS, the stability mode, helps a ton. I've tried mm. doing it or accidentally turned it off, and that's quickly, like, nine times out of ten, if something goes wrong, it's because I turned off the stability systems. Mm. Okay. Which makes me wonder why even have the stability system ever be an option to have off? Actually, I mean, I think the real. Well, you use it all the time, but I know here on Kerbal, <laughs> sometimes if you, there are ways to do more real gravity turn assist since the beginning, you turn it off because otherwise the SAS tries to fight your gravity, your gravity turn, sorry, in the, in the beginning. So it's kind of fine tuning, uh, but yeah, in this game you want it on most of the time. You did some nice backflip earlier on the on, on the blue, yes. on the rocket. Though. That's I wish we well, did some of those. And I half blame that on Thomas because he was yelling, "Do a barrel roll," <laughs> and I'm like, "I can do a roll," and then that no. did not work out oh, well no. for you know <laughs> for my little curl. Nah, I'll never give you up. Never let you down. <laughs> so you know we have you have a stability augmentation system on most uh, um, high speed aircraft as well, and mm-hmm. there's usually an off switch. Right? And why you think the same reason? Why on earth would you have an off switch? Well, one of the main reasons is so that you can practice flying mm-hmm. without the stability augmentation system in case it ever uh, stops working unexpectedly. Oh, no. Right? I have totally... You still want to be able to fly. I... Oh, I'm in oh, orbit. Thumbs You're up. in orbit. Woo. I made it. Wow, yeah. the, the pin worked. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all you needed, Matt. <laughs> is the pin still going? Uh, Can you guys see that on camera? Yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's, that a hype. That's a hype. <laughs> <laughs> so look at that. Good job. What's your periapsis <laughs> right now? Can you tell? Wait, what is the difference? So you have like the, this peak thing up at the top over here. Oh, wait, not there. But yeah, what have, is the difference between these points and why are they important? So on your orbits, you have the point that is the closest to the, to you, the body you are um, uh, orbiting around. And... Um, the, the farthest one, so the apoapsis, the periapsis. And it's important to know also when to inject more uh, trust to do some uh, orbif, orbit, things like that, meaning before getting details, you go at high speed. When you turn your engine on, when you already go at high speed, it allows you to do some very cool orbital stuff to save your fuel. So getting from one orbit to another is really a, ho- a whole game of how to properly manage your fuel because fuel is your life in space, mm-hmm. otherwise you don't and your mission. So you need a lot of smart people to figure out all those things behind. It's a, it's a lot of work. So hmm. I think we're, we'll, we'll do another question and we'll get ready to pivot. Yeah, all right. How to choose, there are a lot. So I would like to, to get through some of these. Um, when we go to Mars, will we use centrifugal or linear gravity? And can you talk about what those mean? It's a question for Chad. stumped? Centrifugal or linear gravity? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the question. Never heard it used in those terms, so I'm not exactly sure what they're asking. Okay. Uh, if you're trying to get to Mars, uh, you know, the, the 
there's no such thing as a straight line trajectory mm -hmm. right in mm -hmm. curved space uh, so gravity is effectively curving space-time and so mm -hmm. you're flying a big curve I'm not sure if that's what they're getting at or not hmm. um, we're, we're not using to get to Mars we're not using any gravity assist maneuvers so okay. we're not you know flying in close to the Sun like you saw in space war and using that to slingshot us around yeah. or anything uh, we're flying a more traditional um, trajectory to get out there yeah okay cool so ho hopefully that answered their question yeah, yeah it's, uh, you can it's come back one. with if clarification not, if not yeah. they can s submit us another question we'll try to figure it out maybe while we're switching it up yeah well let me go just as a shout out to everybody so if you're joining just now joining us you're watching nasa in silicon valley live a new conversational show that we are trying out on twitch.tv slash nasa this episode is let's play space video games so let's have mary beth our resident mars expert she's going to come on up and replace chad um and i think we're due for the disclaimer as i try okay. to get things up and ready <laughs> Are we going to do it? Let's throw up our, our fun disclaimer, which is NASA does not endorse, <laughs> does not promote or endorse, nor will it provide the appearance that NASA promotes or endorses a commercial product, space, or service, or activity. Individuals playing specific games do not constitute an endorsement of such games by NASA or the U.S. federal government. No game developer or publisher requested to play any specific game, and the games were selected solely to facilitate a conversation on space exploration, science, technology, and engineering. With all of that out of the way, <laughs> eyes up, Guardians. Let's go visit Mars. <laughs> In the, I have yeah. so many questions. Yeah. Oh, in the early, we're going to go to Mars in the early 3200s to play Destiny 1. So, and in full disclosure on this one, I think we troubleshooted for a ridiculous amount of time yesterday to try to get this up and running. Evidently, my home console doesn't play very well. My non-NASA home console does not play well with the NASA internet here. And evidently, you need an internet connection to play Destiny. So, these, in, in full disclosure, are actually recordings that I made but honestly, seeing the stuff on Destiny was one of the first inspirations to even do a show like this. Because as I'm on Mars and playing, it was all I could think of was like, I need to talk to Mary Beth. <laughs> is this accurate? Is this real? Is this really what Mars looks like or could even look like? So as you see now, as we're making our approach. Did we just go through a wormhole? <laughs> yeah, basically. That's okay. what we do. That's well, cool. Warp engine, yeah. All right, so, so. Before we begin, a bunch of people are asking for a ballpark when we might land on Mars, land um, humans on Mars. Land humans on Mars. Uh, that's a good question. Um, I think the date kind of keeps getting pushed back because uh, getting to Mars with humans is extremely expensive. So I, I don't actually know what the current estimate is off the top of my head, but mm -hmm. presumably, um, you know, if SLS the, the starts to show progress the next big rocket yeah. yeah i think we'll get there hopefully like when i'm an old lady <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, so tell us about this mary beth is this what mars looks like or could look like i mean we're seeing rocks we're seeing dust and even like trees so what would yeah. it take for trees or like what do you think so like mars is extremely dry um it's so dry it's like hard to explain how dry it is uh for example if you've heard of deserts in the u.s like the mojave um that's like maybe 10 to 100,000 times wetter than the surface of Mars today. Mm -hmm. So like wow. this sort of vegetation level kind of reminds me of the Mojave Desert and in mm -hmm. the driest deserts on Earth, like the Atacama Desert in Chile or in the uh, McMurdo Dry Valleys in Antarctica, there are no plants. It's too dry for them. 
Um, so unless you know we figure out a way to maybe to grow plants on the Martian surface, um, I think the one big hurdle to doing that would be the radiative environment because Mars doesn't have a protective um, magnetosphere like Earth does that kind of acts as the sunblock. Um, and radiation is incredibly damaging to organic compounds. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, like, I don't know if that would be too great for for life. Mm -hmm. no. <laughs> well, tell people a little bit about. I mean, before we jump into those questions, because the one thing the first time I met Mary Beth was, you know, you co-authored a paper about liquid water on Mars. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Or? So, like, one of the big questions that drives my research is. Um, did Mars ever host life? Did life ever begin on Mars? And sort of the, the first question you have to ask in order to answer that question is, um, was Mars a nice place to live for a microorganism? And the number one ingredient for life on Earth is water. And so um, uh, I worked on a team that was studying this feature called recurring slope lineae, which are hotly debated. Um, <laughs> but we saw... Um, like on these slopes over here? Exactly. <laughs> there are these weird features that show up in the springtime and the summertime, and we identified um, hydration bands or a water signal within the, the salt within a salt structure um, using uh, satellites and uh, remote sensing data. So that was a pretty exciting project to work on. And I was going to say, for people who are watching, you probably noticed I'm purposefully avoiding like, the <laughs> fallen and the cabal and the yeah. vex. Yeah. But um, those those are alien species that came to <laughs> Mars. But what do you think? What are some of the research you're doing on of like possibilities yeah. <laughs> of life on we Mars? We look for real aliens. No, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, so one of the big questions that NASA is trying to answer is, um, is there life anywhere else in the universe? And so there's a, a group of people who do what's called life detection or astrobiology. And uh, we're looking for the signs. We're starting to design the instrumentation and, and start to starting to come up with the concepts to uh, guide our uh, future missions uh, to look for life uh, on Mars or in the plume of a moon called, called Enceladus or on the surface of Europa, for example. These mm -hmm. places that we know either liquid water currently exists or like Mars once existed ubiquitously um, a long time ago, so a few billion years ago. Mars actually had like shallow seas and a thick atmosphere and was a lot more Earth-like than the dry, dusty desert we see today. So I'm going to stop going. Go ahead, Abby. Let's get yeah. some chat. Yeah, you kind of mentioned the possibilities for growing anything on Mars, and Seneca was asking how long until we can terraform Mars so it's nice like Earth used to be. So um, terraforming means yeah, transforming the environment yeah. so we could grow things. So Is one of right? the guys that I work with here at Ames has written some papers on that, and it actually would take a really long time. Like, oh. Even if you liberated all the, the water and the poles, like, I don't know if it's like over the course of a lifetime of a human that that would be possible. What's the idea? You, so you, you get you, water out of the yeah, ice. Yeah, you get water out of the ice caps and you and, irrigate and, the ground. Increase or? the pressure in the atmosphere. Uh -huh. um, but I think kind of a more realistic picture of colonization of Mars is um, underground or or covered by dirt or having protective. I don't. I think this notion of like astronauts just roaming around on the surface is is like for me would be a scary thing because of the radiation environment. Oh, yeah. um, so I don't know. I think uh, there's different people that have different concepts of what you know Martian colonization would look like, but I don't know if it'll be dudes driving around it. <laughs> <Yeah>. On sparrows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cave dwellers, exactly, yeah. That's what, that's, in my mind at least, mm -hmm. like that's how I imagine it, but who knows. So I have a little a bit more, more I wanted to show people Phobos, but let's do more chat. Yes. Was there, from Telesto13S, was there enough standing water on Mars for long enough 
for the biology of life to take hold? Uh, we think so. And maybe it wasn't standing water, like early Mars could have been cold and wet. Um, so it might have been more like Antarctica than like mm. the Amazon. <laughs> oh, neat. Uh, Bacon 1989 asks, didn't the Curiosity rover come across running water but avoided it due to the possibility of contamination? I don't think so. There was a paper that, that determined that it was possible to have liquid water at the near surface. But um, there's a group at NASA called Planetary Protection that makes sure that we're very careful about the places we explore so that we don't contaminate those places or they don't contaminate us. Yeah. And Curiosity was, um, was sterilized, but not well enough to go and explore those places. So they probably would have, if, if that's true, they would have avoided them, mm -hmm. maybe. Okay, that does make sense. ASDF512X, do microbes count as alien life on planets? Totally, yeah, we're looking for yeah. microbes. Yeah, we're yeah. looking for microscopic organisms, um, cellular life uh, as we know it. We're not looking for little green men. And it makes sense, right? Like we're not, the, the ingredients for life were ubiquitous in the early solar system. They rained down everywhere. And um, so we're looking for life that maybe resembles terrestrial life or life as we know it but maybe is a little bit different. And so that's how we're coming up with a framework to search for life elsewhere. We're coming up with a reasonable set of, of molecules to search for that are um, similar to what, what we have on Earth. Mm -hmm. Cool. Here is an unusual but interesting question. Chris, 84567, to terraform Mars, why don't we just fly a rocket with a whole bunch of poop on it to get a basis <laughs> for life to start? I'm serious, like fertilizer. <laughs> It'd still be too dry. Too dry. Yeah. Yep. And does the lack of magnetic field on Mars add great difficulty to the already difficult task of terraforming? Absolutely. Hobolons? Yeah, radiation's a big problem. Because the magnetosphere will block radiation on the, Earth? Mars used to have one, and we actually, some of the oldest rocks on Mars um, are magnetized. You can see the remnants still hanging out. But um, because Mars is so small, it um, doesn't have the same internal structure that Earth does, and so it lost its magnetic field. and then got bombarded with radiation. Okay. So we're gonna switch over to some more gameplay of yeah. uh, introducing everybody to Phobos. <laughs> um, but like, we can keep taking some on the chat. Okay. Did want to show off, but like yeah, Mary Beth, tell a little bit. What so is Phobos? Let's talk Phobos about it. Phobos is a moon of Mars. There's two, two moons that orbit Mars, Phobos and Deimos. And they're a little bit different than uh, our moon um, because our moon is actually, was created by a big impact that happened on Earth. So something, something very large smashed into Earth and then formed our moon. But people believe that, um, scientists believe that Phobos and Deimos are actually captured objects. And so Phobos in particular is a rubble pile that has a very thin crust on the top of it. Um, so uh, definitely wouldn't be walking around with like gravity or anything <laughs> like that. I was gonna say, this is one of the first reactions because yeah. we were hopping around on Mars, jumping and flying into the air, with considering that gravity base that we've established on Mars, yeah, what would happen if we jump like that for real on Phobos? Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I think you go flying. <laughs> also, also, the smoke in the back there probably not heavy smoke rising like that, no gravity, so no yeah, convection, no atmosphere. Like, mm -hmm. so when we hop on our little bike and you have like the entrail things that are it's like it probably wouldn't exist on yeah, Phobos, exactly. you need an atmosphere for that, not yeah. much of an atmosphere for yeah. it, yeah. Interesting. Cool explosion. But it's though. cool. Yeah. I mean, it's the, it's also the right color though. So Phobos is uh, one of the least reflective objects in the solar system, um, and its dark color um, comes from the minerals that it's made out of. So that seems realistic. And it flopped and it, it flipped over to you know that we saw Mars. Is that about how close it is? Because we think of I think we've seen those pictures of, of Earth from the Moon. Mm -hmm. 
I'm guessing if you were on Phobos, Mars yeah. would be huge? Yeah. Or are you much uh, further away? I think you'd probably be a little bit further away. But I'm not sure. I'd have to, like, go and see how far away Phobos is from the Martian surface. Go but actually, see over um, there? Or yeah. Yeah, send me. That sounds good. Send me. Um, there's a cool picture I wanted to mention that just came out. I think it made the news a couple of weeks ago or maybe a few months ago from the OSIRIS-REx mission where they actually took a picture of Earth and the moon in the same frame. And it's mm -hmm. so cool. You can actually see the distance between oh, them. So cool. I encourage folks to go out and search for that. Let's try to yeah. hit up as much in the chat because yeah. we're going to have to wrap up on NASA TV time in about... Bill is telling me three minutes is <laughs> when we're going to yeah. have to wrap up. Let's get as many on the chat as we can before before we get counted out. All right. From the new Clarence, is the ice cap on the pole of Mars methane or would that be some sort of water? It's mostly carbon dioxide ice, actually, because cool. the pressure is so low. So carbon dioxide can act as ice. But there is a small percentage of it that is water. And some new work that's been coming out shows that there's um, some other ice deposits in the northern regions on Mars. Cool. Liquid. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, water ice. Water ice on Mars. Okay. Frosty asks, when was the moon created? Early on in the solar system. So I think it happened, you know, within the first few hundred million years of the formation of Earth. So the early solar system was a really violent place. There were lots of um, things hitting each other, and then it sort of calmed down over time. So that's when the, the moon was formed right, out, of cool. the, out of the Earth's material. All right, looks like we're getting, we're getting the uh -oh. wrap it up sign. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, but, like... This has been amazing. So um, for folks who have been watching, this has been NASA in Silicon Valley live. Huge thank to our uh, huge thanks to our guests. We have over on the sky cam, we have Chad Frost sitting over there. We're going to switch to the sky cam. Yeah, there we sky go. Cam. Of course, with Dave and Bill sitting over there. Huge thanks to Chad. Up top over here, we have Thomas Lambot and Mary Beth Wilhelm. Huge thanks to everyone who watched and asked questions. Um, some of our guests are going to hang out for a little bit in the chat and keep answering those questions. We are on all major social media platforms under NASA Ames. And if you enjoyed the stream, please comment and let us know. Again, we're testing this out. So we're just, this is new territory for us. Um, if you haven't already, go ahead and click like. Like, share, subscribe, whatever button that you see on the screen uh, or podcast app that, you know, having that stuff really helps other people find the content. We will be back for at least one more Twitch episode. We're aiming for Monday, February 12th, but keep an eye out on social media and we'll send out more information as that date gets closer. But everybody, thank you so much for watching. <laughs>